The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. The word of God speaks to us like this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to have you with us. We're, we're talking through over last week, introducing it, and over the next few weeks, uh, we're just talking through like what it, we're here for, what we're here for. We're talking through the mission of our church, why we gather, why we gather on Sundays just like this, why, and, and why we scatter throughout the week. Why, why do we see ourselves not just as, as people who have an hour and a half of the week, but people who are on mission throughout the week? Why is that? And our church says a couple things. Like our church phrases this in, in the phrase of like we multiplying gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. And, and I, I say that right here because I want to make it clear, like we didn't just make this up. It is an attempt to live into the reality in which we're called. The, the reality in which we're called. And so uh, our church's kind of mission statement comes out of the word of God and not the other way around. And, and so we're gonna anchor in that over the next couple of weeks. Last week we sat in Matthew 16 and Matthew 16 says this. It says these words that we kind of spent time around. They may be familiar with you. They, they may not, but here's, here's what it is. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would uh, call themselves a Christian, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we're like, like, how do we live into that? It leads to things like that statement, multiplying gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. This week, what I want to focus our attention on is the first part of that, multiplying gospel communities. Multiplying gospel communities. And, and I want to show you from the text that it actually starts in the text, not with a phrase that we came up with, but it actually starts right here. And to, to be clear about it, we're going to spend the next few weeks in Matthew immersing ourselves in the story. Remember, kind of like uh, setting all, all the meat in the crock pot or the, the, the cooker uh, to soak up all the flavors over the course of time. We're trying to immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus uh, so that we'd be able to live into the story of Jesus. We're immersing ourselves in the story, uh, not just to know things, not to pass a test or anything. I remember showing up, uh, I, di I didn't grow up in church, and I'm more on that in a little bit, but I remember in like sixth grade, uh, we went to church one day, and I, I showed up in there, and they gave a test, like a Bible test, and I was like, oh, I never want to come back to this, ever. We're not trying to immerse ourselves in a in the story of Jesus to pass a test. 
We're soaking in this to learn how to live in this world, gathered and scattered. And so I just want to invite you to pray with me and ask that God would do that in us. Father, we invite you into the space to meet us. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Move us past religion. Move us past trying to posture ourselves or to earn something before you. Holy Spirit, help us to see the risen Jesus. To experience the grace of the risen one. Move us past our doubts, our fears, our shame. Move us past all of it that we would experience your grace today. We pray this for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're in Matthew. We're in Matthew the next couple weeks. And and I, I hope you join me in Matthew 28. That's where we're at. If you need a Bible, we have them uh, just outside on the table. We'll get you a Bible if you have it uh, printed, if you have it uh, on a device, whatever it takes. Uh, we want to get a Bible to you. Obviously, we're going to put it on here. But I want you to see that this isn't just stuff that uh, I somehow cut and paste onto my iPad. It actually uh, comes from this book right here. And it matters to us. We'll pick it up in 28. And it says these words as we immerse ourselves in this story. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And this is important. It's important for us to pause here. I know it feels just like, like housekeeping that Matthew's doing and stuff, but this, this actually really sets the table for this meal that we have in this because our text is at the end of Matthew 28. Is, the text is at the end of this letter right here. We get this and it means that we're past the story of the cross and we're past the, the, we're past the story of the resurrection. We're just immediately past the resurrection happening. And then we find out that they're no longer in Jerusalem, that they, they've moved uh, up to Galilee. And it tells us something important here. It's to the place that Jesus had told them. He had directed them to this place right here. All of that becomes really important. Even the fact that it says we're 11 disciples and not 12. All of this is part of a larger story. We're familiar with it, right? We're familiar with so much of this as part of culture now. But in the moment for these people, these followers of Jesus, it was like everything is swirling around them. Everything in the moment in their lives is like upside down. And they, have, they certainly have more questions than answers. The reality of where they're at in, the, in this chapter and in this story is that they, ha they have big fears right before them. Twice in the chapter, it tells, them, it tells them, do not be afraid, which gives a sense of what they're carrying. These are people that have been walking with Jesus for a couple of years now. They've been walking with Jesus all this time. And as we read through the story of Jesus, we see that they, there were fun times. 
They're fun times. Listen, Jesus knew how to throw a party, right? Jesus knew good wine from bad wine. Jesus knew what a good wedding was like. And Jesus knew how to have a laugh. There's all sorts of moments that as we read it and and we just kind of take our halo off for a second, we're like, uh, that's Jesus and he's kind of a funny dude in this moment. Like Jesus knew how to have a good time and there were plenty of fun times. There were also awkward moments for these guys. There were moments in which they, they were in a circumstance or they were, they were living real life, right? Because that's what real people do. They're living real life. And then Jesus would throw out this question to them and pause. And you, could, you can feel the tension of like, wait, I, I don't know if it's A or B right here. I don't know if it's A or B. And they're not trying to pass a test. They're, just, they're trying to say, I didn't see you go. Jesus, you zigged when I expected you to zag. And then the, you can kind of feel in the text where they're, they're waiting on someone to speak up. It's almost always Peter. And it's almost always awkward. <laughs> and then there are moments as you read the story of Jesus that are just deeply uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Jesus challenging the Pharisees, the religious people. Jesus challenging the religious people who knew how to go to service and sit up straight. They knew how to sing the songs. They knew how all these types of things. You even have with the followers of Jesus, these these disciples right here with him, these 11 particularly. In in Matthew 10, you have a story in which Jesus uh, says, hey, I'm sending you out to these villages and these towns two by two. And don't take anything with you. Don't take any food. Don't take any extra cloaks. Don't take a backpack or a knapsack. Don't take even sandals with you. Don't take anything with you. And you can feel like if it were me, and I'm like, wait, uh, this feels really uncomfortable. This doesn't, this, this is at the awkward stage, awkward, right? But then it moves to something more because in chapter 10, Matthew 10, verse 16, he says this. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Like uh, Jesus, that went from awkward to uncomfortable real fast. But with every bit of it, like walking with Jesus for these people, we can't just leave it at, it was fun or it was awkward or it was uncomfortable. It was all those things. And one, way, one thing that we would say about it is it was life-changing. It was life-changing for a tax collector. It was life-changing for these fishermen. It was life-changing for this, this like zealot who, who was this revolutionary zealot. It was life-changing for each of them in every way. And now standing on this mountain in this moment, they'd seen this one that they're following executed. They've now experienced some measure of like, he's not dead And they're scared, right? If we're really paying attention to the story, they're scared. We literally hear it in the text. And the remaining disciples are here. Remember, one, Judas betrayed them, is lost. One, Judas is not there. They're in Galilee, far to the north now, at the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And even with those fears, even with their doubts of like, is this even real? 
And at least one of them, but probably more of these guys that are standing there, even in their shame, they went. They went to where God had told them to go. They went to this spot. They went to Jesus. And remember, we're not done at 16. Read verse 17 with me. Because they show up on this mountain, and here's what 17 says. And when they saw him, they saw him. Don't just gloss past that. They saw one who they'd seen crucified, who they'd seen buried, and now they saw him on this mountain. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, comma, but some doubted. They, they saw him, they saw the risen Jesus standing there and they did what anybody should do. They, they worshiped him and yet some doubted, which simply means they're real human beings. They're not some caricatures, they're real human beings experiencing real life. You see, the, the problem isn't having doubts and maybe you need to hear this today. The problem isn't having doubts. Nothing in our text tells us that. that they, the, the, those with doubts saw Jesus. Those with doubts still met Jesus on this mountain. None, uh, uh, but none of that would have happened had they not gone to Galilee. To the place that he had told them. You see, the problem isn't the doubts. The problem is if they disobeyed. For whatever reason. You see, these guys, had they disobeyed, had they not gone, had they not gone to that mountain, would have missed out on that moment, on every bit of what Jesus had for them on, on that mountain. And in the days ahead, they would have missed out on all of it had they stayed there for whatever reason and disobeyed. And don't miss this, don't miss this. All of it, the seeing, the worshiping, and the doubt are all rolled into one right here because you get all of it. Like, how is this even possible? How is this happening? Like, God, what is going on? Like, like I can't explain A plus B. And then if you're anything like uh, so many people, I have two college students in my life and a high school student, but like college students today are obsessed with this thing like be real. And so every moment is, is, is moved by this. They would be on the mountain being like, I sure hope my be real goes off right now. This would be one of those, this would be one of those moments to capture in this time. All of us have these things, right? Like they would have missed out on every bit of it if they weren't on this mountain. And these guys are a jumbled mess of faith and doubt and weakness, of soaring and stumbling. And so are we. If we're honest with ourselves. If we're honest with ourselves. And so my question is like, how are you responding to real life? Not some glossy, uh, like printed out thing about, oh, life is good. Everything is happy and perfect. And, and, and How are you responding to real life? 
Because most days we're, we're, we're like these guys. We're, we're, we have faith, we have doubt, we have all of it. And I, I'm so thankful for, for how one author puts it. And I'll tell you, when I was 17, I, again, I wasn't raised in church. When I was 17, and I picked up this book, and it, there's, there's great parts to it, and there's not so great parts to it. So it's, it's like most books, uh, eat the meat, spit the bones, right? But, but I, I grew up not in church, and I, I very much felt like I, I, was, I would look around at church and think, are all these people perfect? These, no one here is going through what I'm going through. And I picked up this book and I'm reading it. And, I, and honestly, it took me about a year and a half to get through the first chapter. But in the second chapter, I think these words come out. And so much of it changed my life. The Holy Spirit used this and changed my life. Here's what he says. When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. Aristotle said, I am a rational animal. I say I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. And listen, this isn't like an author who's just throwing a joke. I, let me give you some backstory. Here is a pastor who became an alcoholic in the ministry. Faith and doubt. Worship and struggling all rolled up in this together. And my question for us is like, not do you have your act together, but are you, are you sitting on your hands or are you where God has called you to be? And that's not really a physical place, right? That's a place of looking to him. It's not a physical place. Are you where God is calling you to, do, to be, doing the things he's put before you to do? Have you convinced yourself? Have you somehow bought the lie that Netflix or good times or Instagram trips and accumulated stuff is what life is about? And I know, I, I know we say things and I know we can say things and I know we can sing all the right songs, but what do we believe and live in the dark moments? What do we believe and live when, when we're consumed by our doubts? And where do we go with all of those things? That's what's so important here. And that's what our text is driving to. And so I want you to, to not just sit in a quote from a book, but see where our text goes next. Verse 18 says, to these people who are both worshiping and doubtful, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, these, these first disciples carried doubts. They carried all sorts of questions. They couldn't explain A and B to you. And yet they were there. 
they were there. He had called them to something and they did it. And even in their mess, even in their doubts, Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't pull back from them because they're a mix of those emotions. In fact, he answers not the specific questions of like, wait a second, how did uh, life come back into your body? He doesn't explain all of that to them. He actually goes to the bigger, more existential question and he says everything, everything uh, in, under heaven and earth is under my authority now. And friends, that includes death and life, everything. So you can almost hear him saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into the nuance of, of how all of this played out. I just need you to know. I need you to know the most important thing. I need you to know the answer that unlocks all the puzzle. I need you to know every bit of it that I have all authority under heaven and earth. It's been given to me. The one thing that they had to understand, the one piece of this that they had to get was that he is Lord over all, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It's everything that will, everything that is before them will find their place in this reality. Everything that they're going to step into, every fear, every longing, every disappointment, every enemy, every success, everything is to find its place and its purpose in the fact that all authority is now under the Lordship of Jesus, King of Kings, right there. Amen? So, why do we live like we are the Lord of our life? Why do we live as if it's our throne, our kingdom? I'll follow you when it is convenient, when it works into my schedule. Like here, here's the question I would ask you. So who is Jesus in your life? Is Jesus the person you're trying to clean yourself up for? Who is Jesus in your life? Is Jesus the emergency call? Is he roadside assistance in your life? Is he the one that you call to fix things? He's the one that shows up and cleans it. He's the, the AAA agent for whatever you're going through. Who is Jesus in your life? And friends, this isn't just a one-time question where you're like, oh, I was at camp once. I prayed a prayer. I really, I really meant it and I walked forward. This isn't a one-time question. This is a question for the dark days when you can both worship and doubt all together. Who is Jesus in your life? If the answer is anything, but he's the one with all authority over heaven and earth, king of kings, lord of lords, then you're simply trying to clean yourself up. And the Bible is really clear. It tells us that at one point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There's no way around. But who is Jesus in our life? 
This is as much for someone who has never heard the gospel message as it is for someone who has gone to church their whole life because we can easily find ourselves uh, singing songs and saying things and then going about trusting in our own in our own abilities. You see, this is the moment, right? This is the moment. It's here where the, that conversation around our doubts and disappointment or disobedience becomes like at the fore of our focus. It comes right there because this is where the, the focus becomes, what am I trusting in? Where is my hope in reality? That even as we wait, even in our disappointment, even in our longings that haven't been answered yet, even in the the things that we've cried out for, and the book is closed on that, and it won't change, even in that, he is pouring out his grace. Why? Because he is Lord of all heaven and earth. See, I so often live today as if I'm the center of it all. I so often forget, and sometimes it's because I'm forgetful, and sometimes because I'm lazy, and sometimes it's because I'm doubting, and sometimes it's because, like, as much as I can stand with the, the man in Mark 9, I'm like, I do believe God, and there's so much in my life in where there's unbelief, in which I could stand on that mountain and say, how is this even possible? My doubts can creep in and win the day. It can win the moment. And all of this can and does lead to doing my own thing in my own way for my own glory. And regardless of the the reasons for that, but regardless of the reasons for disobedience, it all comes back to if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And this is important for us because like we so often in Bible Belt America just kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstrap. We're gonna stand up straight and we're clean up and I'm gonna show up and have no visible sin on my life and none of these types of things working in me. And we think, okay, if I just do that enough, then I'm gonna be okay. But what does it look like to live into this. These first followers of Jesus with all of their ups and downs, beliefs and doubts are now on the mountain with the one who went to the cross. Like, What does it mean to take up the cross, take up your cross when you're standing before the one who went to the cross? What does it mean to the one who went to the cross, died, was buried and rose again? One thing it meant to them, and it means to us, is that the cross isn't the end of the story. When the Bible says, take up your cross, it doesn't mean, oh, I've got to be miserable. It means every day is terrible. I'm just going to deny myself everything, deny myself good food, deny myself good times. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean just be a miserable person who's opposed to everything in life. It doesn't, it doesn't mean any of that because they're not standing with the cross as, as the only thing. They're standing there with the one who went to the cross and rose again. 
I love how another author puts it. It's so helpful that the cross is not the final word. He says it like this. Hear these words. The resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but the proclamation of a victory. The king reigns from the tree. The reign of God has indeed come upon us and its sign is not a golden throne, but a wooden cross. And the resurrection is the fact that Jesus who died on the cross is indeed king, conqueror of death and sin, Lord and savior of all. Hear those words. They're on a mountain with the one who went to the cross, died, and is standing before them as a living testimony, a seal of victory, victory over death, sin, and everything in between. And he says, now all authority is mine. What do they do with that? What are they to do with it? I'm just gonna say from reading about these, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, that they have so much going for them and they so often screw it up. The answer to what, what are we gonna do with this? They're probably all looking at Peter now. Again, awkward, uncomfortable. It's easy to kind of make fun of Peter a little bit. And the reality is that you and I would screw up that question as well. And Jesus so graciously and lovingly doesn't leave us to just figure it out on our own. He says something to them. And the very next words lead us to it. These familiar words from verse 19, he says this. Go therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He gives them a mission. He gives them a purpose. He gives them a task, right? There are four verbs here that everybody can agree on. We can can all kind of point them out and not that we need to go into grammar time, but let's just be clear about them. Go, Make disciples, teaching, baptize, uh, all of those things are verbs right here. And, and everybody agrees, grammatically, it's set up in a way that makes sense that, that three of the verbs work off of one. The central piece of this is make disciples, make disciples. And that is of enormous importance. What does that mean? Tell others of what God has done in your life. Tell others this good news of Jesus and who he is and that it isn't just true for you, it can be true of them as well because not one of us earned it on our own. Not one of us. Make disciples of this. But, the, but it's all strung together with an important kind of connector clause right here. And usually we see this at the beginning, now, for, but, and, those types of things. Anytime you, there's a, a phrase people joke around, like anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask, what it's, what's it there for? What's happening right here? 
It says, go therefore and make disciples. And that therefore is important for us to understand the text because it tells us make disciples is a direct result of all authority under heaven and earth being given to Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. He changes everything. Make disciples. As a church, Frontline explains it this way, and here's, here's the language we use. Multiplying gospel communities. Multiplying means it's not just like, uh, hey, I'm happy, us will be here together and all these things. No, we're about making disciples. We're about telling other people, not just, hey, happy stories and nice things and chicken soup for your life, and I hope you have a good day, and I hope I'm, I'm a nice buddy for you. No, we're multiplying gospel communities. Gospel that are anchored and based and the foundation of all of it is the fact that this one is risen from the grave and he changes everything. He changes everything. We, the, the community piece is important because it's uh, so easy to be like, it's just me and God, I'll do this on my own and I'll just kind of walk through this uh, as me and him and we'll just figure this out ourselves. But we weren't created to do this ourselves. Why? Because uh, you and I have doubts and fears and shame and, and all sorts of things in which we need other people speaking in our, into our life, lifting our arms, helping us, and helping us take just another step when I'm too lazy, too fearful, too ashamed, too doubting to even believe for one more day. If you think every one of those disciples just said, yeah, let's go, see what happens out there. I'm gonna say a couple of them were like, I don't wanna go. But they had a community that said, we're going. We walked this out together. And teaching is important. Teaching is important, right? We're not just, uh, just pulling anything that we want. We're teaching all that he has done, all that he has commanded us to do, and we're living into this. We're living into this. Not making up our own stuff, not, not twisting it into our own angles and things. We're living into this because he changes everything, and he is Lord, not, not me and not anyone else. He is Lord. And there's baptizing, right? There's baptizing, why? Because it, it's the first act of obedience, it's the first act of obedience in which we follow after Jesus, that first step of denying ourselves and saying, it's all him who has moved me from death to life and washed my sin absolutely clean. If you haven't been baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, I cannot encourage you enough to take as your first step following after him in this. We wanna help you with that. We don't want to twist your arm. We don't want to do any of that. We want to help you with it. But notice also, I skipped the very first verb that's in this, which is go. And there is always a go. We don't just sit on our hands and wait for people to come to us. We don't just sit on our hands and say, oh, if anybody wants us, they can come and find it right here at my house or my place. But no, the Bible tells us to go. Why does it tell us to go? Because the king went the king stepped out of heaven, stepped onto this earth, took on human flesh and blood and came, humbled himself and went to the cross. We go because he went before us. We go 
We go as a direct result of him sending us. We go as obedience to him. Now, how do we go? How do we go and make disciples? We go for Jesus. We go for Jesus, not for frontline, not for you or for me, not, not for numbers, not for making us happy, not for uh, buildings or lights or any of those things. We don't go uh, to build up or make much of any of this. We're not going for bumper stickers or happy thoughts. We go for Jesus. We go under the lordship of Jesus. We go under his lordship, under his authority as sent ones to wolves, as sheep. We go under his banner and his covering and we go into all of that awkward, uncomfortable, fun, whatever it might be. We go under that for Jesus, under Jesus. But here's the deal. We go with Jesus. We don't, go, we don't go do this on our own, by our own strength. We go with Jesus and hear these words as we close. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you bow your heads with me?